We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 201 of the Al Galdi podcast. And yes, I am still doing the episode numbers. It is Monday, December 6th, 2021. And we can say that when it comes to this month of December 2021, being as good for the Washington football team as the month of November 2021 was for the Washington football team, we are off to a fine start. Another win. A fourth consecutive win. Our team has gone from 2-6 and six to 6-6. Six and six. A 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. As yes, for a second time in seven days, Washington won a game by a 17-15 score. The final score of Washington's win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football was 17-15. The final score of the Washington football team's win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday was 17-15. I don't know about you, that's just fine by me. The score don't matter as long as the first total in the score belongs to the W to the F to the T. What a game on Sunday. What a win for Washington on Sunday. I didn't know what to think as that game went on. I initially was feeling good about the game with Washington up 7-0. Then I didn't feel so good about the game as Washington's offense continued to stagnate. Uh, Then I felt good about the game after the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson. Then I felt bad about the game after the Taylor Heineke interception. Then I felt great about the game after the Brian Johnson 48-yard field goal for the 17-15 Washington lead with 37 seconds left in the fourth quarter, but I still wasn't sure about the game, right? Because there was time left on the clock for Derek Carr and the Raiders to do their elite deep passing game thing. 
And then the Hail Mary at the end of the game fell incomplete, and our team had won. This is some turnaround to this season that we are witnessing. And oh, by the way, also on Sunday was the Minnesota Vikings falling to 5-7 and seven with a 29-27 loss at the now no longer windless Detroit Lions. The Atlanta Falcons falling to 5-7 and seven with a 30-17 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the San Francisco 49ers, the fighting Kyle Shanahan's falling to 6-6 six and six with a 30-23 loss at the Seattle Seahawks. The Washington football team, my friends, isn't just in position to make the NFC playoffs as we speak. The Washington football team now is in possession of the number six seed in the NFC. Forget the seven seed in the NFC. Washington is up to being the six seed in the NFC because Washington wins the tiebreaker over the 49ers based on having the better winning percentage in conference games. Washington is 5 and 2 versus NFC teams. The 49ers are 5 and 5 versus NFC teams. Our team is moving up. And our head coach again was fired up. Here was your post-game locker room celebration snapshot. Ron Rivera all fired up and toward the end of the cut, this is great. You'll hear Ron summon Washington defensive coordinator and former Raiders head coach Jack Del Rio to throw the stone at the whiteboard in Washington's locker room. As you likely know, this has become a tradition for Washington during this four-game winning streak, throwing a stone at the whiteboard in the Washington locker room. This is based on that saying that Ron keeps saying, for every question, there's an answer. For every problem, there's a solution. For every Goliath, there's a David. For every giant, there's a stone. Well, JDR chucked the stone after the win at the Raiders on Sunday. Here you go. I told you guys, everything we need is in this room. Everything we need is in this room. And understand this more so than anything else, okay? Understand this more than anything else. We can do what we want and be what we want. It's up to us. Nobody dictates to us, okay? Nobody does. We decide. You know what I decide? Jack! Where you at, Jack? do you not love that? I loved every second of that. You got to see the video if you haven't yet seen the video. Jack Del Rio, who rarely shows emotion, seemed, and I stress that word seemed because who knows what he was thinking, but seemed to enjoy being called up to throw the stone at the whiteboard in Washington's locker room. Wow, a four-game winning streak. Raise your hand if you saw this coming. I don't think anybody saw this coming. And we all now know what is coming, a game against the NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. The 6-6 six and six Washington football team hosting the 8-4 and four and NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys. It is Dallas week. This is a monster week in Washington, D.C. sports, and you are tuned into the best and most comprehensive Washington, D.C. sports podcast that there is. Welcome to a special Washington football team 
post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Next segment, the front five. My five biggest takeaways from Washington improving to six and six with this 17-15 win at the Raiders on Sunday. I'll then have plenty of thoughts for you on the game beyond those thoughts in the front five. You will hear all of the key post-game audio from Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke. In-depth reaction and analysis are forthcoming. If you are a Washington football team fan, you have come to the right place. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Also on the show, boy, do we have a lot to get to beyond the Washington football team. Mark Turgeon, Mark Turgeon out as Maryland basketball head coach. What happened? Why did this happen? And what now? Well, we saw the start of what now on Sunday afternoon, a 67-61 loss to Northwestern at Xfinity Center in College Park. I've got a lot to say about the departure of the Turge and about that game on Sunday. Bad weekend for the Wizards, two ugly losses for them. We got to talk about that. A nice win for the Capitals on Saturday night, a 3-1 win over the Columbus Blue Jackets at Capital One Arena. I'll talk about that, including yet another milestone goal for Alex Ovechkin, and I'll discuss Georgetown's 80-67 loss at South Carolina on Sunday afternoon, and the ACC openers for Virginia and Virginia Tech, including the Cavaliers' wild 57-56 come from behind win over Pitt at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Friday night. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. If you don't already do that, subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode, and you surely do not want to be missing an episode now with the Washington football team surging as the Washington football team is surging. And especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Those things do help out the podcast a lot and I very much appreciate you're doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback, as you might expect, regarding the Washington football team of this fourth consecutive victory. Tweet from the incomparable CJ. Uh, tweet CJ, the streak continues. We are like Frank the Tank in old school, streaking alone in the NFC East. Love it. Yes, I do too. And few characters ever in any movie surpass Frank the Tank. A tweet from Marty, a win streak of four, all close games in which the WFT was the underdog and all wins coming despite some key injuries for the WFT. It's an apt reward for patient fans. Yes, it is. We as Washington football team fans deserve this four-game winning streak. We have worked hard for this four-game winning streak. Email from Stanley Evans, this win was all about character. This team is bought into Ron Rivera's message, toughness and grit and overcoming adversity, maturity, as Rivera has been preaching all season. Taylor Heineke had maybe his worst game of the year, nearly throwing a pick six to end the game, but somehow calls and plays are going our way. This team is finding solutions and not making excuses. Dallas is going to see a fired up bunch that smells blood. Oh, and how about that Brian Johnson? Yes, how about that Brian Johnson. Much more on him coming up. Much more on Taylor Heineke coming up. I did not think that that was Taylor Heineke's worst game of the year. You know, he wasn't spectacular in the game, but he was good. He was tough and he was clutch. Uh, Yes, he threw that pick and yes, he had multiple near picks, but he also made a bunch of big plays. Email from Rob. What a nail biter. It's time to give the defense credit. Taylor Heineke's a baller. Yes, Rob, I shall be giving the defense credit. 
next segment during the front five. Email from Luke Archer. On all of the big plays that Derek Carr made, it was because he had a lot of time in the pocket. You can't blame the secondary in this game. One thing that was a big factor in this game was open field tackles. There were so many checkdowns thrown to the running back that turned into six to seven yard gains because of a missed tackle or a missed low tackle. It also seemed like some players weren't staying in their zone in coverage and guarding someone outside of their zone and leaving someone open. Also, I think you should keep the episode numbers. It does help to keep track and refer to other episodes, and you can look forward to the episode milestones. Keep up the good work, and thankfully, Brian Johnson clutched up. Thank you for that email, Luke. I agree tackling was an issue at times, especially for Jamin Davis. But speaking of clutching up, the law firm of Paulson and Nace will clutch up for you if you've been wrong. Think of Paulson and Nace as your own personal Brian Johnson. Uh, Geez, there's something that I never thought I'd be saying in one of these reads. But yes, Paulson and Nace will deliver for you as Brian Johnson delivered for Washington at the Raiders. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Why? Because Paulson and Nace has trial experience, which, believe it or not, is not something that every law firm has. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. Paulson and Nace is different. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you are obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family Take care of yours. All right. Well, no time to waste. Let's get right to it. Time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team improving to six and six with a 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Takeaway number one, this now four-game winning streak for the Washington football team is the greatest sign yet that Ron Rivera can and will succeed as Washington head coach. Now, let me explain what I just said right there. Washington, of course, has not accomplished anything. And I am far from, you know, planting the flag of victory here uh, off this win at the Raiders, off what is now a four-game winning streak. I mean, as NFL winning streaks go, a four-game winning streak is nice, but a four-game winning streak certainly isn't like truly special. 
But when you think about where Washington was at, at two and six, and you think about how this four-game winning streak is happening, despite there being so many reasons for this four-game winning streak not to be happening, I don't know how you don't view this four-game winning streak as anything but highly encouraging regarding the long-term outlook for Ron Rivera as the head coach for the Washington football team, as the head coach in the coach-centric approach for Washington, right? For Ron Rivera as the Don of the Washington football team family, for Don Ron. Now, again, nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is set in stone. And we all know we are one Dan Snyder meddling in an NFL draft away from everything unraveling and going back to the way they have been for way too long. And, you know, if Washington ends up losing more than winning the rest of this regular season, if Washington, say, loses each of the team's next three games by double digits, well, then so much for the four-game winning streak, meaning much, right? But right now, at this moment in time, Ron Rivera has the Washington football team playing well. Ron Rivera has the Washington football team playing with a resilience that is impossible not to admire. The defense is playing by far its best football of the season, despite being without its top two edge defenders, maybe its top two most talented players in Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And despite in this game at the Raiders, right, being without the Buffalo Nickel, the drop-down safety, the combo safety linebacker, the safety linebacker hybrid. Call him whatever you want to at this point, but Landon Collins did not play in this game at the Raiders. Uh, The quarterback, right? Taylor Heineke. I mean, he's not supposed to be Washington's starting quarterback. He's technically Washington's backup quarterback. He entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent. Perhaps you've heard his story. Uh, He signed with Washington less than a year ago. Don't lose sight of that. Washington signed Taylor Heineke last December to the practice squad. Last December 8th, to be precise. So we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the WFT signing Old Tay-Tay. The one-year anniversary will be on Wednesday. Remember, Washington, though, signed Heineke to be, in essence, the team's quarantine quarterback. He's not supposed to be doing what he's doing. Washington went at the Raiders despite the offensive line continuing to be depleted. Washington starting right tackle Samuel Cosme is on the reserve injured list. Washington on Sunday started its fourth string center, Keith Ismail, who the team took in the fifth round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of San Diego State. Washington's first string center, Chase Rulier, is on the reserve injured list. Washington's second string center, Tyler Larson, was active but did not play for a second consecutive game due to a knee injury. Washington's third string center, Wes Schweitzer, was inactive due to an ankle injury. Washington went at the Raiders despite J.D. McKissick being inactive due to a concussion. Washington went at the Raiders despite losing Logan Thomas to what appears to be a seriously injured knee. More on that next segment. And Washington went at the Raiders despite Ricky Seals-Jones being inactive for a third consecutive game due to a hip injury. Washington went at the Raiders on what, right? A Brian Johnson 48-yard field goal for a 17-15 Washington lead with 37 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Brian Johnson, who Washington just signed off the Chicago Bears practice squad last Tuesday afternoon. Why? Because Washington on that day put Joey Sly on the reserve injured list. Washington went at the Raiders despite playing off a short week 
and having to travel 2,400-plus miles to play an extra-rested Raiders team that hadn't played since Thanksgiving. Here was Taylor Heineke during his post-game press conference on Sunday night. Take a listen. Yeah, this was a total team effort right here. Um, we kind of go back and you look at, we had a short week to prepare. They had 10 days to prepare. We had to fly out four and a half hours. You know, you know, kind of all the odds were stacked up against us. And we, we, you know, we accepted the challenge. And, you know, it was, a, it was a full team effort today. We scored on the first drive, and then we didn't score again until the fourth quarter. Defense played lights out all game. It was kind of a field position battle for the first three quarters. And then the fourth quarter got really interesting there. And, you know, we just held onto our guns, and, and we battled through it. So, again, it was... Everyone had a huge part in the game today. Yeah, Washington had every excuse to lose this game, and yet Washington won this game. That, my friends, is a sign of an improved culture. This four-game winning streak is the greatest sign yet that Ron Rivera can and will succeed as Washington head coach. And again, I'm not guaranteeing anything, okay? We are a long way away from being able to say mission accomplished in terms of Ron Rivera succeeding as Washington head coach. I am saying that the four-game winning streak is a sign, not a guarantee. But don't minimize what we're seeing right now. This is a really big deal. This four-game winning streak and the circumstances under which the four-game winning streak is taking place. Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday night on his Washington football team. Well, you know, they are resilient, and, and, and they bounce back. And, and as I said, the one thing that, that they seem to feel and believe is if you just give us a chance, you know, we'll see what happens. And, and that's the biggest thing about what we saw today. And then this was Ron with a message to you, the Washington football team fan, with this week now being Dallas week, the 6-6 six and six Washington football team versus the 8-4 and four and NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. Well, the biggest message we need, y'all, we really do. I mean, and, and again, look at where our opportunities are. We've got five divisional games in a row, okay? We've got to take them one at a time, okay? We're playing the division leader twice. This is the first one. We, we, we need everybody. All hands on deck. Let's roll. How do you not like that? All hands on deck. Let's roll. Takeaway number two, the improvement of Washington's defense, especially the secondary, is nothing short of spectacular. Washington's defense in this win at the Raiders played well for a fourth time in as many games during Washington's four-game winning streak. Washington's defense during the team's two-and-six start was so bad. I mean, we talked about that constantly on this podcast, and particularly bad was the secondary. The secondary was atrocious during Washington's first eight games of the season, but as bad as the secondary was during the two-and-six start, that's how good the secondary has been during this four-game winning streak. I was very hard on Washington's secondary during the two and six start. It is only fair that I properly praise the Washington secondary as it does so well during this four game winning streak. This really is one of the great in season turnarounds that you'll ever see a unit have. Washington held the Raiders to just 15 points, held the Raiders to just two of eight on third downs. You cannot overstate how drastic the improvement in Washington's third down defense is. Washington, during its four-game winning streak, has allowed opponents to go just 12 
of 39 on third downs. Washington, during its 2-6 and six start to the season, allowed opponents to go 65 of 115 on third downs, 56.52%. Washington's third down defense over the team's first eight games of the season was horrendous. Washington's third down defense during this four-game winning streak has been outstanding. Drastic turnaround. And then there's this. Washington on Sunday stifled the best deep passing team in the NFL. The Raiders had been the best deep passing team in the NFL. And the Raiders got humbled on Sunday. Now, yes, the Raiders being without tight end Darren Waller helped Washington. And yes, former Washington receiver, our old pal, Deshaun Jackson, dealing with a calf injury, helped Washington. He did play, but he wasn't nearly the factor that we have seen Deshaun be in the past, especially in games against Washington. But still, credit Washington. Washington held Raiders quarterback Derek Carr to just 249 yards on 38 pass attempts, held Carr to just three explosive passing plays. We define an explosive passing play as one that goes for at least 20 yards. And Washington held Carr to no touchdown passes. Understand what Derek Carr had been doing this season. Derek Carr through week 12 was number 10 among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 57.2. Derek Carr through week 12 for Pro Football Focus was number one in the NFL in big time throws with 31. Derek Carr through week 12 for PFF was number two among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in big time throw percentage at 7.5. Derek Carr through week 12 for PFF was number one in the NFL in deep passing yards with 910. I keep going, but you get the idea. Derek Carr had been an elite deep ball thrower this season and yet Washington made him humble. As the Iron Sheik likes to say, make him humble! Make him humble! Yes, Sheiky baby, make him humble! Washington put Derek Carr in the camel clutch and made him humble! Make him humble! Yes, Sheiky, so many great moments for Washington's defense on Sunday. We start with the final drive of the game. The Raiders' ninth offensive drive started at the Raiders' 25 with 31 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Washington nursing a 17-15 lead, but the drive resulted in the end of the game. So yes, there was some luck on this drive, no doubt. First snap of the drive, Bobby McCain, great coverage on receiver Zay Jones on a Derek Carr first and 10 Deep shotgun incompletion on which no flags were thrown. Uh, Bobby McCain did tug on Zay Jones's jersey. You certainly could have called defensive pass interference on that play. Thankfully, no penalty was called. A penalty could have been called, but a penalty was not called. And so that play goes down as great coverage by Bobby McCain. And then on the fourth snap of the drive, the final snap of the game on a second and three for the Raiders at their 43, William Jackson the third, a pass defense on a Derek Carr, deep shotgun Hail Mary incompletion, the ball landing in front of the end zone. Victory clinched for the W to the F. 
to the T. Uh, that Hail Mary, a far cry from the dreck that we saw, if you remember, in Washington's loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. Remember the end of the first half Hail Mary debacle for Washington and that game? Much better Hail Mary defense for Washington in this game. The Raiders' six offensive drive resulted in Daniel Carlson's third quarter 38-yard field goal. Six snap of the drive on a second and three for the Raiders at the Washington 20. Cole Holcomb, a big pass defense right in front of the end zone out of Derek Carr shotgun and completion intended for tight end Foster Moreau. Huge pass breakup there by Cole Holcomb. The Raiders' fifth offensive drive, this the opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third-quarter punt, fifth snap of the drive. Matt Ioannidis, a third-and-eleven sack of Derek Carr for a seven-yard loss off a blitz by Washington. Raiders' fourth offensive drive resulted in Daniel Carlson's 52-yard field goal with four seconds left in the second quarter. First snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen and James Smith-Williams splitting a first-and-ten sack of Derek Carr for an eight-yard loss on a play on which James Smith-Williams drew a holding penalty on left guard John Simpson that was declined. Four snap of the drive, Jamin Davis tackled running back Josh Jacobs for a five-yard loss on a Derek Carr first and 10 shotgun completion on which Deron Payne had a quarterback hit. Raiders' third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, the 10th snap of the drive as the Raiders had been driving on the drive. Third and five for the Raiders at the Washington 48, Bobby McCain shoving running back Josh Jacobs out of bounds for no gain on a Derek Carr shotgun completion to Jacobs. Washington's pursuit on that play was terrific. Raiders' second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. First snap of the drive, Bobby McCain, a pass defense on a Derek Carr first and 10 under center play action and completion intended for receiver Brian Edwards. This was the play that was initially ruled an 18-yard completion, but Ron Rivera astutely challenged the play. The ball was ruled to have hit the turf thanks to a pass defense by McCain. And then on the Raiders' first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt, six snap of the drive. Cameron Curl had a pass defense out of Derek Carr, third and four, shotgun in completion. Really good pass defense by Washington in this game. And again, Washington was facing the best deep passing team in the NFL. That's a big part of all this. And yet still, Washington did as it did. Held the Raiders to 15 points held the Raiders to two of eight on third downs, held Derek Carr to 6.55 yards per pass attempt and no touchdown passes. Tremendous job by Washington's secondary. Tremendous job by Washington's defense. In terms of the bad from Washington's defense, two things jump out to me. Number one, Washington's defense committed three big penalties on the Raiders' seventh offensive drive, that five-play, 75-yard drive that resulted in running back Josh Jacobs' fourth quarter, first and goal, one-yard under center handoff touchdown run that cut Washington's lead to 14-12. If you remember, Raiders failed on a two-point conversion attempt. But you had on the third snap of the drive, Deron Payne, a first and 10, five-yard holding penalty. You had on the fourth snap of the drive, Washington giving up a Derek Carr first and 10, 14-yard shotgun completion to Deshaun Jackson and Casey Tuhill committing a 13-yard roughing the passer penalty, giving the Raiders a first and 10 at the Washington 12. And then on the sixth snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown run on a second and eight for the Raiders at the Washington 10, Cole Holcomb got called for a nine-yard pass interference penalty and covering receiver Hunter Renfro. Now, that was a questionable penalty, but Holcomb still got called for it. So three big penalties for Washington 
on that drive. You also did have Washington with some missed tackles in this game, including some by Jamin Davis. But still, you have to take a step back and not get caught up in the micro and just look at the overall output from the defense. Was the output good or was the output bad? The output was really good from the Washington football team's defense in this game. It's the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team winning a fourth consecutive game and improving to six and six with a 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Takeaway number three, Taylor Heineke, yes, benefited from some luck, but also, yes, was clutch and was tough. Uh, The Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the Tay-Tay haters, the daters will continue to pick every nit possible, will continue to harp on and magnify every negative that can be found. And no doubt he wasn't perfect on Sunday. But you know, who among us is perfect? Here's the bottom line. Taylor Heineke is clutch and he's tough as nails. And right now he is winning. He is finding ways to lead Washington to victory. And I know that that last statement is cliche, and it's a kind of thing that people will lean on, even though it's sometimes just a bunch of, you know, juju, and it's not really based on reality or fact. But the truth is, Taylor Heineke is making big plays, like game in, game out, as we chronicle these games on this podcast. There are multiple big plays that Taylor Heineke is making. I'm talking about clutch plays, winning plays. Taylor Heineke is making those plays. Here was Taylor Heineke during his post-game press conference on Sunday night. You can feel it from the from the guys, and uh, you know when I make a mistake, they're they're there to pick me up, and um, you know it's it's a great group of guys in there. We work hard together, and um, you know, I can't say enough good things about them, but. You know, everyone in there is resilient. Uh, everyone in there is a warrior, and we were down. We were we were two and six record, and we could have easily folded. And you know, the, the season could have gone totally different. But you know, the guys wanted the battle, and and here we are at six and six. Yes, here you are. Here we are on the Al Galdi podcast. Taylor Heineke came up huge on Washington's game-winning drive. Although, yes, he certainly got lucky on the drive. Cannot deny that. Uh, So this was Washington's ninth offensive drive, started at the Washington 25, with Washington having just fallen behind at 15-14 off the Daniel Carlson 37-yard field goal with 2.22 left in the fourth quarter. And the drive resulted in the Brian Johnson 48-yard field goal with 37 seconds left in the fourth quarter for a 17-15 Washington lead. The first snap of the drive, the final snap before the second half, two-minute warning, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, nine-yard shotgun completion to John Bates on a broken play as Heineke made the throw off running to his right. Really nice play by Heineke. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 10-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. Then came the lucky play, and thank goodness this play played out as it did. The fifth snap of the drive on a first and 10 at the Raiders' 40 Taylor Heineke threw a near pick on a shotgun incompletion as the ball went right through the hands of safety Trayvon Merrig, who might have had a pick six had he made the interception. No doubt, the football gods were on the side of Taylor Heineke on that play. And, you know, look, I mean, if you're being objective, you have to say, well, if Merrig makes that catch, if he makes that interception, we're having an entirely different conversation right now. And yeah, you're probably right about that. But Merrick did not make 
that interception. And if you're going to scold Taylor Heineke for a pick that wasn't, then you really need to praise him for all of the negative plays that he turned into positive plays. And we're going to get to those as we go on here. But here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday night on Taylor Heineke on this game-winning drive, responding to having thrown an interception on Washington's previous offensive drive. Well, that's a little bit about who he is. You know, he, 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 he will, you know, try and force the ball every now and then. But when he settles in and, and, and gives himself a chance to make plays, he does. And, and, you know, we were very fortunate on that drive. You know, he, uh, he made a couple of good plays, good decisions, and, and he got away with a bad one. Uh, fortunate enough that the, the, that the ball was dropped. So, um, but again, with him in his moment, in his element, he gives you a chance. And, and that's all we can ask. Yeah, Taylor Heineke came through. He had two touchdown passes, giving him now seven touchdown passes versus two interceptions during Washington's four-game winning streak. And Heineke made big plays on Washington's touchdown drives beyond the touchdown passes. So the drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's first touchdown pass, this was Washington's first offensive drive, was the opening drive of the game, a nine-play, 75-yard drive, resulted in Taylor Heineke's first quarter, first and goal, seven-yard under center play action touchdown pass to Logan Thomas, who was wide open and made a great catch with his right hand of a high throw. Uh, Heineke was high on that throw, but Taylor Heineke on the drive went five of five for 48 yards and the touchdown. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, 23-yard under center play action boot completion to John Bates. Fifth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a third and 10, 13-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin to beat the blitz despite taking a shot from linebacker Denzel Perriman, who came in unblocked. Taylor Heineke displayed a real toughness in this game. You know, I don't want to say this too loudly, and I don't want to jinx anything, but remember all of the talk in the offseason about Taylor Heineke's durability and his extreme injury history in the NFL? He has taken shots this season, and his body is holding up. And I say this while knocking on wood and praising the football gods in the skies, okay? But Taylor Heineke is holding up as this season is going on. The drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's second touchdown pass. This was Washington's seventh offensive drive, a nine-play, 75-yard drive, resulted in Taylor Heineke's early fourth quarter, third and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 10-yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson. The sixth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 35-yard under center play action completion to Logan Thomas. The eighth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and 16, 10-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. And then on the next snap, the ninth snap of the drive, the final snap of the third quarter, Taylor Heineke, a third and six, seven-yard shotgun scramble, giving Washington a first and goal at the nine. Taylor Heineke quarterback to Washington offense that went seven of 13 on third downs. Washington's third offensive drive did result in an early second quarter punt, but the third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and two, six-yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter. Washington's fourth offensive drive did result in a late second quarter punt, but the third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a third and four, six-yard shotgun completion 
to Adam Humphreys. And on the 10th snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke took a shot, a wicked shot from edge defender Max Crosby for a third and nine, 15-yard roughing the passer penalty on Crosby. Washington's sixth offensive drive. This resulted in a third quarter punt. But the third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and five, six-yard shotgun completion to Logan Thomas to beat the Blitz. And then on the seventh snap of the drive, this wasn't a third down conversion, but this could have been. Taylor Heineke, a miracle incompletion, if that makes sense. This was a third and 15. Taylor Heineke ended up having a shotgun incompletion on which he incredibly avoided being sacked despite edge defender Max Crosby heavily pressuring Heineke and at one point grabbing Heineke's right ankle. Heineke, though, uh, escaped ran away, and then ended up throwing too high to an open Logan Thomas. Uh, Although I thought Logan could have made the catch, but it wasn't an easy catch to make. But anyway, Haneke gets off the throw despite taking a shot from edge defender Yannick Ngakwe, who went to Maryland. So, I mean, there's a play right there that, yes, is an incompletion, but that's a play on which Haneke was dead to rights. I mean, that's a play that had, you know, major yardage lost written all over the play with Haneke going down via sack, and instead, he's able to at least get off a throw of the football for an incompletion. So, you know, if you want to shred Taylor Haneke for the interception that wasn't on Washington's game-winning drive, fine, but then also praise him for the plays that he made in this game that many other quarterbacks would not have made. Now, uh, this was not, you know, an A-plus performance for Taylor Haneke. Uh, he only threw for 196 yards. He threw for a buck 96 on 30 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.53. Uh, Taylor Heineke did throw an actual interception in the game. He had two touchdown passes versus one interception. The interception came on Washington's eighth offensive drive, the eighth snap of the drive on a third and four at the Raiders 47. Taylor Heineke threw a fourth quarter shotgun interception to quarter Nate Hobbs. Uh, but there was a lot going on on this interception. So Heineke's right arm was hit by edge defender Max Crosby, resulting in a wobbly floater. Also on the play was Heineke taking a shot from interior defensive lineman Solomon Thomas. And on the play, we had a high snap by the Washington center, the fourth string center, though he was Washington starting center, Keith Ismail. Uh, it was an interesting pick, too, because the ball was initially dropped by corner Casey Hayward Jr., but then caught by Hobbs for the pick. Uh, Heineke during his post-game press conference on Sunday night on his pick. So I was trying to get Terry on a dig behind the, the behind the backer, and I thought I thought I had him. And uh, Max Crosby had made a great play. He put his hand up, hit my arm, and it just kind of fluttered out. And um, you know, as a quarterback, that's one of the worst feelings. You know, you kind of see the ball float in the air. But again, the defense did a great job holding him, holding the three, and then uh, gave us a chance to go down and score. So, and then kudos to our kicker. You know. Um, not many people on the team really knew his name <laughs> this week coming in. And, uh, you know, he made a name for himself today. So um, it, was, it was a big play for him. Yes, it was. And then two other negatives for Taylor Heineke. He nearly threw a pick on Washington's game-winning drive, as we talked about, that near pick to the safety, Trayvon Merrick. And Taylor Heineke had another near pick in the game. Washington's sixth offensive drive resulted in a third-quarter punt, the sixth snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a near pick on a second and 15 shotgun play action in completion intended for Terry McLaurin. Takeaway number four, Antonio Gibson during this four-game winning streak had another game in which his stats didn't necessarily overwhelm you, but his physicality and his big plays impressed you. 
Antonio Gibson continues to run with a physicality that to me is really impressive, and he continues to have a number of key runs in these games during this four-game winning streak. The yards per carry uh, does not blow you away. That is true. But Antonio Gibson is getting the job done. He has become Washington's workhorse running back. And, you know, knock on wood and point to the football gods in the sky. But uh, Antonio Gibson has not fumbled over these last two games. So no J.D. McKissick for Washington in this game. He was inactive due to that concussion that he suffered in the win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12. Antonio Gibson in this win at the Raiders on Sunday finished with 23 carries for 88 yards and five receptions for 23 yards and a touchdown on six targets. So first, the touchdown reception. Uh, Taylor Heineke, an early fourth quarter, third and goal, four-yard touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson. Uh, Also for Gibson on this drive, was him having a key catch on the first snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 10-yard 10 shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson had a big run on Washington's game-winning drive, the drive that gave us the Brian Johnson 48-yard field goal with 37 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Uh, this gets kind of forgotten, but second snap of the drive, first snap after the second half two-minute warning was an Antonio Gibson second-and-one four-yard shotgun read option run for a Washington first down. Uh, Antonio Gibson had two key runs on Washington's first offensive drive. So this was the drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass to Logan Thomas. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, 22-yard under center handoff run. Eight snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown. This was a great run by Gibson. On a third and one at the Raiders' eight, Antonio Gibson, a one-yard shotgun toss run on which he seemed destined to be tackled for a loss, did a tremendous job of running by edge defender and Maryland product Unique Ngakwe, who came in unblocked. What a job by Antonio Gibson. There's a play that goes down in the scorebook as a one-yard run. There's a lot more to that run than just Antonio Gibson getting one yard. A, that's a one-yard run on a third and one, so that's a one-yard run for a first down. But B, uh, Antonio Gibson, again, he looked dead And instead, he was able to author a run for a one-yard gain to get the first down. Antonio Gibson had a big run on Washington's second offensive drive. Now, the drive did result in a first-quarter punt. Uh, By the way, first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke threw too high on a first-and-ten shotgun play-action incompletion intended for Antonio Gibson. But the next snap was an Antonio Gibson second-and-ten 16-yard Pistol handoff run. Antonio Gibson had a nice run to begin Washington's third offensive drive. Now, this drive did result in an early second quarter punt, but the first snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, six-yard pistol handoff run. Antonio Gibson had back-to-back impressive runs on Washington's fourth offensive drive. Now, this also resulted in a punt, a late second quarter punt, but the sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a first and 10, nine-yard under center handoff run. Seventh snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a second and one, five-yard shotgun handoff run. Antonio Gibson had two good runs on the drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's interception. Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in the Taylor Heineke fourth quarter pick to corner Nate Hobbs. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and two, eight-yard under center handoff run. Uh, That was the play on which Logan Thomas suffered the injured knee. Sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, six-yard shotgun handoff run. Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday night on Antonio Gibson, who, remember, is still dealing with that problematic shin. 
Well, I, I think part of it is preparation. You know, with the shin getting better, you see him get an opportunity to practice more earlier in the week and get a much better feel for what he needs to do. And, and, and that's, I think, a big plus for him. I think he's getting a, a better feel for his body lean in terms of when he's getting downhill, when he's hitting the holes. Yeah, Antonio Gibson now has totaled 95 carries during Washington's four-game winning streak. And then takeaway number five, very simply, Brian Johnson, what a kick. I mean, you know, what a freaking kick by Brian Johnson. As another more famous Brian Johnson once asked, who made who? I don't know who made Brian Johnson, but I do know that that was a heck of a field goal that the Washington football team's Brian Johnson made. He is, remember, Washington's fourth kicker this season. Brian Johnson, in his Washington debut, attempted just one field goal, but the field goal attempt was a massive one on which he connected a 48-yard field goal for a 17-15 Washington lead with 37 seconds left in the fourth quarter. I'm watching that football fly in the air, and I'm like, oh, this ain't going in, is it? And then, wait a second, did it go in? Did it go in? It went in! It went in! He made the kick. I couldn't believe it. Washington just signed Brian Johnson off the Chicago Bears practice squad on Tuesday afternoon. That was the same day on which Washington put Joey Sly on the reserve injured list due to the hamstring injury that Sly suffered in the win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Brian Johnson is a local. He went to Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C. He, like Sly, kicked collegiately at Virginia Tech. Brian Johnson was Tech's kicker from 2017 through 2020. Uh, Brian Johnson was signed by the Chicago Bears as an undrafted free agent this past May. He ended up being signed by Washington during his second stint on the Bears practice squad. Johnson, in between his two practice squad stints with the Bears, kicked for the New Orleans Saints. The Saints signed Johnson off the Bears practice squad in October. Johnson, over four games with the Saints, went eight of eight on field goals, including connecting on a 52-yard field goal in a 27-25 Saints home loss to the Atlanta Falcons in Week 9. So Brian Johnson now this season is 9 of 9 on field goals. Now, what's interesting is that Brian Johnson, over his four games with the Saints, went just 5 of 8 on extra points. But Brian Johnson, in Washington's win at the Raiders on Sunday, went 2 of 2 on extra points. But that field goal, that really is something else. Your first field goal attempt as a Washington kicker, you blast a 48-yarder in the final minute of a huge win at the Raiders. So there you go. The front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team winning a fourth consecutive game and improving to 6-6 six and six with this 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Takeaway number one, this now four-game winning streak for the Washington football team is the greatest sign yet that Ron Rivera can and will succeed as Washington head coach. Takeaway number two, the improvement of Washington's defense, especially the secondary, is nothing short of spectacular. Takeaway number three, Taylor Heineke, yes, benefited from some luck, but also, yes, was clutch and was tough. Takeaway number four, Antonio Gibson, during this four-game winning streak, had another game in which his stats didn't necessarily overwhelm you, but his physicality and big plays impressed you. And takeaway number five, Brian Johnson, what a kick. Up next, much more on the Washington football team off the win at the Raiders, including, yes, 
Very bad news, it seems, regarding Logan Thomas. Was that a dirty block on Logan Thomas by Yannick Ngakwe? I'll get to that and much more after this. All right, guys, the Washington football team is surging. Four consecutive wins has gone from two and six to six and six, and it is Dallas week. There's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets to Washington versus the Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you are looking to attend Washington versus the NFC East leading Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. More now on the Washington football team, often winning its fourth consecutive game and improving to 6-6 six and six with a 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Oh, by the way, Washington no longer winless versus AFC teams this season. Washington had been 5-2 and two versus NFC teams, but 0-4 oh versus AFC teams this season. Make that 1-4 and four against AFC teams 
this season. And of course, all that is left for Washington now, NFC East games, the round robin, as Ron Rivera has called it, begins in earnest this Sunday afternoon, one o'clock kickoff at FedEx Field, the six and six Washington football team versus the eight and four and NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys. What a week this shapes up to be, if you're like me and are a Washington football team fan. Well, it wasn't all uh, rainbows, candy canes, and lollipops for the Washington football team in this win at the Raiders on Sunday. Heck, what would a game for Washington this season be without a serious injury? Because it's just been that kind of a year for Washington from a health standpoint, especially on offense. Uh, It looks like Logan Thomas has been lost for the season. And I say looks because nothing is official. But Logan Thomas got knocked out of the game in the fourth quarter with what appears to be a seriously injured knee. Uh, So Logan Thomas got injured on Washington's eighth offensive drive. This was the drive that resulted in the Taylor Heineke fourth quarter, third and four shotgun interception to corner Nate Hobbs. The third snap of the drive was an Antonio Gibson second and two, eight yard under center handoff run on which Logan Thomas suffered the injured knee. Now, what happened was a nasty looking low block by Raiders edge defender Unique Ngakwe. The Maryland product giving new meaning to the phrase dirty turp. Uh, that's not what we mean by dirty turp. Uh, now, first, I'll deal with the injury situation and then I'll get to the block by Ngakwe. So, we had multiple reports on Sunday night that Washington is very much fearing Logan Thomas having been lost for the rest of the season. Tweet from ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Sunday night. Quote, Washington believes T.E. Logan Thomas likely tore his ACL and MCL during today's win over Las Vegas per source. Thomas will undergo further testing to confirm the injury after the team returns to Washington. End quote. Tweet from Washington football team insider Ben Standig of the Athletic DC on Sunday night. Quote, Washington is waiting for MRI results, but there's a fear TE. Logan Thomas suffered a significant knee injury per sources. End quote. Uh, terrible news. Terrible news uh, in a lot of different ways. First of all, you feel for Logan Thomas, the player and the person. He just came back from injury. Washington Last Monday, November 29th, hours before the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football, activated Logan Thomas from the reserve injured list. He had been on that since October 6th due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4. Logan ended up missing six games because of that hamstring injury, comes back for the win over the Seahawks, plays in this win at the Raiders, plays well, three receptions for 48 yards and a touchdown on five targets, but now he appears to have suffered a badly injured knee. Now, as for the block by Yannick Ngakwe, so there's no doubt it doesn't look good because Yannick Ngakwe went low on Logan Thomas, but, uh, and some of you may already know this, but in case you don't, Uh, That appears to have been very much a legal block by Yannick Ngakwe. The block, yes, looks low and dirty, but the block, yes, is allowed, or at least certainly seems to be allowed, due to Logan Thomas and Yannick Ngakwe having been in what is called the tight end box. Uh, There were some rule changes slash modifications made for this season. I'm going to read to you directly from operations.nfl.com. 
NFL.com. Okay, if you ever want to read about the official NFL rules, just go to this website, operations.nfl.com. Quote, new for 2021, the tight end box is defined as the area two yards outside of the normal tackle position and extends five yards on either side of the line of scrimmage. Blocks below the waist during a scrimmage down prior to a change of possession are prohibited by players from either team unless the contact occurs within the tight end box, end quote. I've already seen a lot on social media of, you know, that was a dirty hit and this can't be allowed. And I hear you. I didn't like the look of that at all. And I feel for Logan Thomas big time. But if you go by the rules of the NFL, that was a legal block that was thrown by Yannick Ngakwe. Um, You know, unless the NFL reviews that and says for some reason that was not legal, uh, everything that I'm seeing and interpreting here suggests that that was a legal block. So it sucks for Logan Thomas. Again, I feel for the guy. And, you know, I guess hopefully the, uh, the, uh, the unlikely outcome is achieved and somehow serious injury is avoided. But that certainly is not the feel uh, as I tape this podcast right now. What time is it? Let's see. 2.24 a.m. on Monday morning. Jeez. It is a late night here on the Al Galdi podcast, but that's okay. So bad news regarding Logan Thomas. But like I said, he played well. That touchdown catch was tremendous. That Taylor Heineke first quarter, first and goal, 70-yard under center play action, touchdown pass to Logan. Uh, what a catch by Logan Thomas. I mean, he was wide open in the end zone. Heineke threw high, and Logan made a great catch with his right hand for the high throw. He also had Washington's longest reception in the game, the drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's early fourth quarter touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson, the sixth half of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a third quarter, first and 10, 35-yard under center play action completion to Logan Thomas. Uh, Also, I want to give some props to John Bates. He is coming along as a pass catching threat for Washington. Some of this is by necessity because Logan Thomas has missed so much time due to injury. Ricky Seals-Jones now has missed each of the last three games due to that hip injury that he suffered in Washington's win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. But John Bates in this win at the Raiders on Sunday, three receptions for 42 yards, also had a drop uh, on four targets in the game. But on the opening drive of the game, which resulted in Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass to Logan Thomas, second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 23-yard. Under center play action boot completion, to John Bates. He did have that drop, like I said. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in an early second quarter punt. Fourth snap of the drive, penultimate snap of the first quarter. John Bates, a drop on a Taylor Heineke. First and 10 under center play action. Boot incompletion with Heineke being pressured heavily by edge defender Max Crosby. Uh, It was an interesting game to me when it came to Washington's receivers. So this was an underwhelming game for Terry McLaurin. Uh, Terry ended up having just three catches for 22 yards on five targets, although he did draw a key penalty in the game. I want to give him credit for that. Uh, The drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson, fifth snap of the drive, Terry McLaurin drew a third quarter, second and 10, five-yard holding penalty on corner and Virginia Tech product Brandon Faison for a Washington first down. But, you know, all things considered, underwhelming game for Terry McLaurin. Underwhelming game for Curtis Samuel. Of course, with Curtis, what matters the most is that he came out of the game healthy with the groin. But Curtis Samuel finished the game with one reception for minus one yard on one target and two carries for minus one yard. Uh, DeAndre Carter had just one catch in the game, one reception 
for six yards on one target, although it was a big catch, uh, you know, came on a drive that resulted in an early second quarter punt. This was Washington's third offensive drive, but the catch was for a first down, third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, late first quarter, third and two, six-yard shotgun completion to DeAndre Carter, but still, underwhelming Terry McLaurin, underwhelming Curtis Samuel, underwhelming DeAndre Carter, uh, underwhelming Cam Sims. He wasn't officially targeted at all in the game, although Cam did draw a penalty in the game. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter punt. Fifth snap of the drive, Cam Sims drew a second and 10 five-yard holding penalty on corner Brandon Faison for a Washington first down. Deami Brown had one reception for six yards on one target. Dax Milne was inactive for a second consecutive game. Antonio Gandy-Golden was inactive for a fourth consecutive game. And so all of this brings us to Adam Humphreys. Adam Humphreys was so key for Washington in this game. And I think has been really key for Washington this season. His numbers for the season do not blow you away, clearly. But Adam Humphreys has had a number of first down catches for Washington this season. So Adam Humphreys over 12 games for Washington this year has 29 receptions for 370 yards on 39 targets. Uh, He doesn't have any touchdown catches. He's averaging just 10.6 yards per reception. But how about this? 17 of his 29 receptions have resulted in first downs. And Adam Humphreys had some big catches for Washington in this win at the Raiders. He had two big catches on Washington's game-winning drive, the one that gave us the Brian Johnson 48-yard field goal with 37 seconds left in the fourth quarter for a 17-15 Washington lead. On back-to-back plays, Taylor Haneke found Adam Humphreys for first downs. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Haneke at first and 10, 10-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Haneke at first and 10, 12-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. Uh, Humphreys had a key catch on a touchdown drive for Washington, the drive that gave us the Taylor Heineke early fourth quarter touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson. Eighth snap of the drive, next to last snap of the third quarter, Taylor Heineke, a second and 16 at 10-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. And Humphreys had another catch in the game for a first down. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter punt. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and four, six-yard shotgun completion to Adam Humphreys. You know, Washington is doing as it is doing this season on the backs of so many guys who qualify as non-NFL stars and in some cases qualify as castoffs. You know, there is a ragamuffin nature to this Washington football team. And, you know, for every Chase Young and Montez Sweat, there's a Taylor Heineke and Brian Johnson. For every Landon Collins, there's an Adam Humphreys. You know, guys on one-year contracts, guys on short-term, low-money contracts, guys who weren't drafted, or guys who were, say, day three draft picks, guys with chips on their shoulders, guys with things to prove. And that is so much a part of what we're seeing with Washington this season. And so many of the key players in this win at the Raiders on Sunday were guys who fall under this umbrella of, you know, the castoffs, the replacements, you know, come up with whatever cutesy phrase you want to come up with. But it's one of the more likable aspects to me of the Washington football team. This is not a team that is supposed to be doing as it is doing, and yet it is doing as it is doing. And it's great to see. Uh, 
All right, time now for the non-Washington football team items on this Washington football team post-game show installment of the Al Galdi podcast. And you can't blame Mark Turgeon for that Maryland loss on Sunday afternoon. No, we do not have the Turge to kick around anymore. Uh, Terrapins lost their Big Ten opener, fell to 5-4 and four overall, a 67-61 loss to Northwestern at Xfinity Center in College Park on Sunday afternoon as the Turtles, in their first game under interim head coach Danny Manning, played a lifeless game uh, in front of a lifeless crowd at Xfinity Center. I tell you, you want to see lifeless, uh, go to a college campus on a Sunday morning, okay? That's about as lifeless as you will ever see any place be. Trust me, I went to Maryland for four years. I lived at Maryland for four years. And I'm telling you, man, Sunday morning, that place is like a morgue. And uh, you certainly got that sense with this noon start time for this game on Sunday afternoon. Now, the Terps, with a little more than four minutes left in the second half, were within a point at 55-54, but the Terps then lost the rest of the game 12-7. Well, more on the game in a bit, but yeah, Maryland now has an interim head coach in Danny Manning because Maryland on Friday afternoon announced that Mark Turgeon, quote, in a mutual decision, end quote, was stepping down as head coach for the Maryland men's basketball program. This was a shocker, and the timing of this was and remains very odd. Uh, I don't think that there's been enough conversation about the timing of this. Very strange. Uh, There had been zero inkling that Turgeon was in trouble or might be stepping down. Yeah, the Terrapins had lost two consecutive games, and it not looked so good during a 5-3 and three start to their season, but nobody, and I mean nobody, was suggesting that Turgeon was in trouble or that Turgeon could be resigning, especially off the contract extension that he received in April, okay? And by the way, boy, does that contract extension now turn out to mean nothing. I mean, that contract extension for Mark Turgeon turned out to be as meaningless as the contract extension that Washington signed Donovan McNabb to. Do you remember that? November 2010, Washington signed Donovan McNabb to a contract extension. The news of the extension broke hours before what ended up being the Monday Night Massacre, that 59-28 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. But the McNabb extension with Washington was a phony baloney contract extension. And I guess in a lot of ways, you have to say the Mark Turgeon contract extension with Maryland ends up being a phony baloney extension. Although, you know, there's money that Turgeon's going to be receiving here. But I mean, geez, it just ends up meaning nothing, right? He gets the extension in April. He's out as head coach by early December. But, you know, I think about this, like Turgeon at his post-game press conferences, clips of which I had been playing on this podcast, had been sounding like matter of fact about the Terps' struggles as opposed to sounding, say, despondent. Uh, He kept emphasizing that the Terps were getting better. He, to me, did not sound like a head coach who was on the verge of resigning. Maybe he was masking his true feelings quite well, but this just is all very peculiar to me. So Turgeon stepped down on Friday, which was a mere two days before the Terps' Big Ten opener. Again, the timing. Think about that. How bizarre is that? Uh, What's interesting, too, is this. Turgeon stepping down as Maryland head coach came one day after Bronco Mendenhall on Thursday evening, shockingly announced his resignation as Virginia head football coach following the team's bowl game for the 2021 season. And both Mendenhall's final game as Virginia football head coach and Turgeon's final game as Maryland men's basketball head coach end up being, right, home losses 
to Virginia Tech. How about that, right? Virginia concluded a 6-6 regular season with a 29-24 loss to Virginia Tech at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, now two Saturdays ago, November 27th. And Maryland fell to 5-3 with a 62-58 loss to Virginia Tech at Xfinity Center in College Park in the Big Ten ACC Challenge this past Wednesday night. December 1st. Uh, I find that kind of funny. The Hokies broke Bronco Mendenhall with Virginia and broke Mark Turgeon with Maryland. Uh, Now, Mark Turgeon stepping down as Maryland head coach does not seem to be him having been fired. Uh, I don't know about you. That was like the first thing that I wondered about. I mean, you always have to be skeptical of coaches stepping down, right? You hear stepping down. Like, what does that mean exactly? Are you voluntarily stepping down or have you been voluntold to step down? Uh, But indications are that Turgeon stepping down is more his decision than Maryland's decision, said Director of Athletics Damon Evans in a statement, quote, after a series of conversations with Coach Turgeon, we agreed that a coaching change was the best move for Coach Turgeon and for the Maryland men's basketball program. He has dedicated over a decade of his life to the University of Maryland and has coached with distinction and honor. He leaves College Park as the 2020 Big Ten Conference champion and with more than 225 victories. He's a great coach and a great person, and I wish Mark his wife, Anne, and his entire family, all the best in the next chapter of their lives, end quote. Said Turgeon in a statement, quote, after several in-depth conversations with Damon, I've decided that the best thing for Maryland basketball, myself and my family, is to step down effective immediately as the head coach of Maryland basketball. I have always preached that Maryland basketball is bigger than any one individual. My departure will enable a new voice to guide the team moving forward end quote. You never know until you know, but indications have been that Turgeon was not fired. Indications have been that he legit quit. Now, let's see what else happens to come out about this in the coming days and weeks. But if, in fact, Turgeon legit quit, you know, I have to say, that's not a great look for the Turge. Quitting two days before the Big Ten opener. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that Turgeon quit on the team, i.e. he just gave up on his team and on himself as Maryland head coach. You know, the idea of quitting on your team, that is a serious charge in the court of sports talk conversation. And I'd like to know more before I say something like that. But again, the timing is strange. I keep coming back to this. The timing doesn't make a ton of sense. And so what about Mark Turgeon? as Maryland head coach. Well, there were good things about Mark Turgeon's 10 plus seasons as Maryland head coach. And yes, he was the head coach for 10 plus seasons, a decade plus. He got hired in May 2011. He ends up resigning in December 2021. So, you know, Turgeon seems like a good man. Uh, Turgeon, by all indications, ran a clean program. And Turgeon is good at coaching defense. He does deserve credit for that. It's something I have given him credit for over the years. The Terps in seven of Turgeon's 10 full seasons as Maryland head coach ranked in the top 45 in Division I in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is essentially the industry standard for measuring defense in college basketball. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions, adjusted for opponents. And Maryland had some good defensive teams over the years. Uh, You go back to 2018-2019, Terps were 21st in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. 2019-2020, Terps were number 22 in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. But, and this is a huge but, 
Uh, Mark Turgeon's Maryland teams were boring offensively. And as simple as that may sound, and as maybe even juvenile as that may sound, that is a big part of why Terps fans never truly took to the Turge. His teams put you to sleep with their offense. Uh, Now, the Terps under Turgeon were more efficient offensively than you may think. Uh, The Terps in each of Turgeon's final six full seasons as Maryland head coach ranked in the top 45 in Division I in adjusted offensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted offensive efficiency is points for 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. And as plotting as some of these Maryland teams were, these teams did finish with some good adjusted offensive efficiency rankings. 2018-2019, Terps were number 31 in Division I in adjusted offensive efficiency. 2019-2020, Terps were number 18 in Division I in adjusted offensive efficiency. 2020-2021, Terps were number 37 in Division I in adjusted offensive efficiency. But Turgeon's recent Maryland teams were not good at shooting threes, including this season's team, which through eight games was shooting an atrocious 26.8% on threes. And Turgeon's Maryland teams routinely were among the slowest in Division I. So a measure of this is another KenPalm.com stat, adjusted tempo. Adjusted tempo is possessions per 40 minutes adjusted for opponents. So, you know, how quickly are you playing? You know, with what kind of pace are you playing? And Maryland, with Turgeon as head coach, routinely was one of the slowest teams in Division I. Listen to these rankings for Maryland in Division I in adjusted tempo. We'll start with the 2014-2015 season and move forward. 199th, 213th. 219th, 266th, 264th, 245th, and 321st, which was Maryland's ranking in Division I in adjusted tempo for KenPalm.com for last season, the 2020-2021 season. 321st in Division I in adjusted tempo. You want to take a nap, okay? You want to go night-night? Uh, watch one of Mark Turgeon's teams play offense. You go night-night. That's the way that it has been for years now. And then there's this, and this matters more than anything. Mark Turgeon's Maryland teams had a glaring lack of big wins and high achievement. You know, ultimately, you can be boring if you win. Uh, ask Virginia head coach Tony Bennett. But Turgeon, as Maryland head coach, did not win enough. Some of the records and facts regarding Turgeon's lack of big wins as Terps head coach really are startling. Uh, Mark Turgeon as Maryland head coach in games against Associated Press top 25 teams went just 19 and 41. Mark Turgeon as Maryland head coach had an overall record in games in March of 23 and 24. And here is my personal favorite, okay? And I say favorite with all sarcasm intended. So Maryland, like I said, hired Mark Turgeon as head coach in May 2011. The Terps with Turgeon as their head coach did not win a road game against a ranked team until a 66-65 win at then number 21 Iowa on February 19th, 
2019. So hired in May 2011, doesn't win a road game against a ranked team until February 2019. And then, of course, we have the NCAA tournaments. Now, Turgeon, over his 10 full seasons as Terps head coach, made the NCAA tournament in five of the nine seasons for which there were NCAA tournaments, including five of the last six seasons for which there were NCAA tournaments. Remember, there was no NCAA tournament for the 2019-2020 season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But Turgeon, as Terps head coach, as you likely know, made the Sweet 16 just once, 2016. Uh, Gary Williams, for comparison's sake, made the Sweet 16 seven times in making the NCAA tournament in each of 11 consecutive seasons from 1993 to 2004. Turgeon's Maryland teams over his 10 full seasons as Terps head coach were never bad, but were never great. And that was a big part of the problem. He did well enough to stay on as Maryland head coach, but he never did well enough to make you feel great about him as Maryland head coach. His worst season was his first season, 2011-2012. Terps went 17-15 and overall and 6-10 and in the ACC that season. His best season was the 2019-2020 season. Terps that season went 24-7 and overall, 14-6 and in the Big Ten, won the Big Ten regular season title. But like I said, there was no NCAA tournament for that season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Turgeon defenders will forever cling to that 2019-2020 season as, well, there was no tournament. Who knows what would have happened? Uh, and I come back to those people and say, yeah, who knows what would have happened? Maybe Maryland would have made a deep NCAA tournament run that year, or maybe Maryland would have gotten bounced from the NCAA tournament in the first weekend. We don't know, and we'll never know. But, you know, it works both ways. That may be a really bad thing for Turgeon, that there was no NCAA tournament for that season. It may also be a very good thing for Mark Turgeon, that there was no NCAA tournament for that season. You know, a common argument for Maryland retaining Turgeon as head coach was, well, you can do worse. You know, you heard some version of that many times over the years. Well, you can do worse. And that's true. You can do worse. And hopefully Maryland isn't about to do worse. But, you know, when the best reason or even a principal reason for keeping someone as your head coach is, well, you can do worse. Well, that's a problem. You know, that shouldn't be among the first things that you say when trying to defend someone as a head coach. Having someone who isn't among the worst in his or her profession, should it be the goal? And Turgeon did not do a bad job as Maryland head coach. He just did not do a great job. And the goal for Maryland basketball is excellence. Gary Williams set a standard of excellence. And Mark Turgeon did not meet that standard of excellence. And so now we have Danny Manning as Maryland interim head coach. Uh, Manning was hired as a Maryland assistant coach by Mark Turgeon. This past April 26th, Manning and Turgeon played together for three seasons at Kansas, 1984 to 1987. Uh, Danny Manning has extensive head coaching experience. He was a head coach for Wake Forest for six seasons, 2014 to 2020. He was the head coach for Tulsa for two seasons, 2012 to 2014. And the Danny Manning era at Maryland did not get off to a good start. Although, you know, he and his team were in a tough spot on Sunday. So I don't really pass a ton of judgment on what we saw. But, you know, what we saw wasn't very good. 67-61 loss to Northwestern at Xfinity Center in College Park on Sunday afternoon. It was an odd game for many reasons. Among them was this. The Terps were actually good on threes, but atrocious on twos. You don't often see this. The Terps went 10-23 on threes. That's not bad. But the Terps went in abysmal 7-36 of 
on twos. The Terps got outscored in the paint 32-12, but some of the individual performances really were something else. The Rhode Island transfer, point guard Fats Russell, two of three on threes, but 0 of nine on twos. Uh, He did have five assists versus one turnover. Eric Ayala, two of six on threes, but 0 of six on twos. Uh, He also had four assists versus six turnovers. Dante Scott, two of six on threes, but 0 of five on twos. Uh, The 6'9 freshman, Julian Reese, in just 12 minutes off the bench, one of six from the field, all twos. Uh, He did have five rebounds, including four offensive boards. Uh, The Georgetown transfer, the 6'11 big man, Kudus Wahab, we had talked about him uh, not playing all that much, despite consistently starting for Turgeon this season. So Kudus on Sunday afternoon did play for 28 minutes as a starter, but he had just seven points on one of five shooting and four rebounds. Maryland was really bad on two-point shots on Sunday afternoon. Terps defense was good. Terps held Northwestern to just six of 18 on threes, held Northwestern to just 21 of 45 on twos, but 21 of 45 on twos is a lot better than seven of 36 on twos, and so Maryland ended up losing, ended up losing despite having 22 free throw attempts to Northwestern's nine, and ended up losing despite a really good game for Hakeem Hart. Uh, Hakeem Hart in this game, four six on threes, three of four on twos, finished with 18 points and seven rebounds in 36 minutes as a starter. And so who knows now what for Maryland? I mean, it's too early to say that this season is a lost season. We're only in early December. So many things can change between now and the month of March. But if you're a Maryland fan like me, you do have to acknowledge that the potential exists for this season to end up being a lost season. But this really was surprising. Mark Turgeon stepping down as Terps head coach on Friday afternoon. Like I said, I'm really curious to see if there's more to this situation that comes out in the coming days and weeks. Next up for Maryland, a game against number 14 Florida in Brooklyn, New York in the Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational this Sunday afternoon at 4.30. All right, bad weekend for the Wizards. Two losses, each of which was an ugly loss. Uh, Friday night, a 116-101 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena. Sunday evening, a 102-90 loss at the Toronto Raptors. Wizards now 14-10, and but they're just 4-7 and since their 10-3 and start to the season. The Wizards have come back down to earth. Uh, they're having problems with physical teams. The Cavs and Raptors are two physical teams, and the Wizards had issues over the weekend. Uh, The Wizards do remain without two key bigs, uh, still have not had Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant for the entirety of this season. Rui Hachimura has yet to play this season due to personal reasons. Thomas Bryant has yet to play this season as he continues to recover from a partially torn left ACL that he suffered last January. But, you know, off what we saw from the Wizards over their first 13 games of the season, them having lost seven of the last 11 games is a disappointment here. Now, you know, it's still very early in the NBA season. We're just 24 games into the 82-game regular season. But there have been some disturbing things with the Wizards here lately. And like I said, these were two ugly losses over the weekend. These were not like two close losses. These were two games in which the Wizards were basically throttled by the Cavaliers and the Raptors. So the 116-101 loss to the Cavs at Capital One Arena on Friday night. This game was a disaster for the Wizards. Uh, Now, the Cavs are decent this season. Cavs entered the game 12-10 on the season. But the Wizards, in what was a Friday night home game, after which Ludacris performed at Capital One Arena, got smashed. So you couldn't even enjoy your Luda 
if you're a hardcore Wizards fan and we're at the game and then the concert. Uh, the Wizards never led in the game after the first quarter. The Wizards in the third quarter trailed by 36 points. Yes, the Wizards trailed by 36 in the third quarter. The Wizards' largest lead in the game was a 24-20 lead in the first quarter. The Wizards, upon establishing that lead, allowed the Cavaliers to go on a 66-26 run for an 86-50 third quarter lead. Uh, Wizards got embarrassed on the boards by the Cavaliers. Now, the Cavs are a big team, but still, the rebounding numbers in the game were really bad from a Wizards perspective. Wizards got out-rebounded by the Cavs 54-33. The Wizards had just three offensive rebounds to the Cavaliers 15 and thus just four second chance points to the Cavs 18. Now, like I said, the Cavaliers are a big team. The Cavaliers starting lineup featured three players who were each listed as being at least 6'10 and Laurie Markkinen at 6'11, Evan Mobley at 6'11 and Jared Allen at 610. Uh, the Wizards allowed the Cavaliers to go 13-30 on threes. Wizards got scorched by Darius Garland. He went 5-6 on threes. The Wiz themselves went just 10-31 of 31 on threes. And head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference said that the Wizards, quote, stopped competing with composure, end quote. Uh, that's not a good thing for your head coach to say Wes Jr. did not play Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope for the entirety of the fourth quarter. Uh, Beal had another underwhelming game this season, 0-3 on threes, just 6-14 of on twos in 26 minutes, 59 seconds as a starter. Spencer Dinwiddie went just 1-4 of on threes, scored just five points in 26-28 as a starter. West Jr., during his postgame presser, said that he wanted Dinwiddie to be more aggressive. A bright spot was Denny Abdia. Uh, Denny was under the weather, still went out there and played and played well. 3-6 on threes, finished with 16 points, three rebounds, and a team best plus minus rating of plus 13 in 22-48 off the bench. But otherwise, an ugly game for the Wizards on Friday night, and then an ugly game for the Wizards on Sunday evening. A 102-90 loss at the Raptors. The Wizards never led in this game after the first quarter. Wizards' only lead in the game was a 2-0 lead in the first quarter. The Wizards in the first quarter scored 12 points. Yes, 12 points for the Wizards in the first quarter of this 12-point loss at the Raptors on Sunday evening. Wizards in the first quarter went 1 of 7 on threes and 4 of 15 on twos. The Wizards in the second quarter trailed by 25 points. Wizards trailed by double digits for the entire second half. Here was West Jr. during his postgame press conference on Sunday night. Bottom line, 12-point uh, first quarter it puts you in a hole um, for us offensively. And then uh, second quarter, they got going. And, you know, scored a 40-point quarter. So game gets away from you. Um, 39 points in the second half. You know, from those two quarters alone, there's the game. Um, you know, and, and we didn't we didn't play our best ball. Um, you know, early on, I thought we generated some pretty good looks, didn't go in. And it tends to have a snowball effect. You know, I think it gets demoralizing for our guys at times, and it starts to detract a little bit from the other end of the floor. Yeah, and you know, I mentioned Bradley Beal having another underwhelming game this season in that loss to the Cavaliers at Capital One Arena on Friday night. Well, Beal had another underwhelming game in this loss at the Raptors on Sunday evening. Beal in 34 minutes, 46 seconds as a starter, scored just 14 points. He went just one of three on threes, just three of nine on twos. Beal did have seven assists versus no turnovers. But, you know, it's one thing for Beal to be putting up underwhelming numbers when the Wizards are 10-3 and 3 
It's different now that the Wizards are 4-7 and seven over their last 11 games. Wes Jr. during his post-game press conference on Sunday night on Beal. Well, it's been difficult because, you know, teams are putting a lot of pressure on them. They're doubling them. Um, they're making him give the ball up. I mean, it's probably a smart ploy. Um, so when he generates open shots for all the people, we, we got to be able to knock those down. I think once we do, that will help loosen up the, you know, their pressure. Yeah, Beal now this season shooting just 26.4% on threes. Speaking of struggling shooting the three, uh, also struggling on Sunday evening for the Wizards was Davis Bertans. Uh, Davis Bertans in exactly 14 minutes off the bench when 0 of 6 on threes had a game worst plus minus rating of minus 19. Davis now has been back for seven games since missing 10 consecutive games due to a sprained left ankle. He, over these seven games, is 6 of 33 on threes. That might not be that big of a problem if Davies Bertans was known for doing other things. He's not really known for doing other things. He got re-signed to a five-year, $80 million contract two off-seasons ago because he is, or at least is supposed to be, the Latvian laser, a three-point marksman. Uh, He has not been that for the Wizards so far this season. Again, six of 33 on threes over seven games since he came back from a 10-game absence caused by a sprained left ankle. A bright spot for the Wizards on Sunday evening was Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He went 4-4 on threes, scored 26 points in 27-55 as a starter. Next up for the Wizards is a game on Monday night. Wizards at the Indiana Pacers, Monday night at 7. All right, let's talk Capitals, who will play on Monday night. Caps will host the Anaheim Ducks Monday night at 7. Nice win for the Caps on Saturday night. They improved to 15-4-6 with a 3-1 win over the Columbus Blue Jackets at Capital One Arena. Caps remain first in the Metropolitan Division, although coming are the New York Rangers. So the Rangers have won six consecutive games and 10 of 11 games, and all of the Rangers' wins in the team's current six-game winning streak are regulation wins. Uh, Caps are one point ahead of the Rangers. Caps have 36 points. Rangers have 35. Now, the Caps on Saturday night did get back two key players a game after getting back another key player. Uh, TJ Oshie on Saturday night was back. He returned from a six-game absence that was caused by a lower body injury that he suffered in the 4-0 win at the San Jose Sharks on November 20th. And Oshie in that game returned from a 10-game absence that was caused by another lower body injury. Also, Connor Sheary on Saturday night was back. He returned from a six-game absence that was caused by an upper body injury that he suffered prior to the 5-2 loss at the Seattle Kraken on November 21st. So Oshie and Sheary were back one game after defenseman Justin Schultz came back. The Caps in their 4-3 shootout loss to the Chicago Blackhawks at Capital One Arena on Thursday night got back Schultz from a three-game absence that was caused by an upper body injury that he suffered in the 6-3 win over the Montreal Canadiens at Capital One Arena on November 24th. So a Caps team that has been ravaged by injury slash absence this season has gotten back three key guys over the last two games. All of that is good, clearly. But the hockey gods giveth and the hockey gods taketh away. And so the Caps on Saturday night were without two key players who had just entered the NHL's COVID-19 protocol and the Caps remained without two other key players. Uh, Nick Dowd on Saturday night did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk on Saturday night 
did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. So as you're getting back, Oshie and Shiri, you lose Dowd and Van Riemsdyk. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, the Caps remained without Anthony Mantha. He's out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th, and the Caps remained without Nicholas Backstrom, who's yet to play this season. Uh, Backstrom has been out since the start of Capitals training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. It just feels like this season, the Caps are destined to constantly be without key players, and yet the Caps do keep winning, and they won again on Saturday night, this 3-1 win over the Blue Jackets at Capital One Arena. Uh, the Caps in this game dominated the puck possession battle. Caps, per natural statric, had 54 five-on-five shot attempts to the Blue Jackets, 40, and that was mainly about a second period in which the Caps had 25 five-on-five shot attempts to the Blue Jackets, nine, including seven high-danger five-on-five shot attempts to the Blue Jackets, one. Uh, Caps for natural stat trick finished with 11 high-danger five-on-five shot attempts to the Blue Jackets, three, and so barely tested was Ilya Samsonov. Uh, He was a Caps starting goaltender again, seventh time in nine games, and Samsonov stopped 17 of the 18 shots on goal that he faced. So he only faced 18 shots on goal the entire game. And how about this? Samsonov per natural stat trick faced just one high danger shot on goal the entire game. It's not often you see that one high danger shot on goal for a goaltender to contend with the entire game. Now, it was on that shot that Samsonov gave up the lone goal that he allowed, but that is something else. Facing one high danger shot on goal the entire game. You talk about playing well in front of a goaltender. Uh, the Caps certainly did that on Saturday night. Uh, Samsonov now 10-1-1 this season. I'm not big on evaluating goaltenders based on their records, but that is quite the record, right? 10-1-1. This was head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on if Caps players are becoming more confident in Samsonov, who clearly has surpassed Vitek Vanacek as the Caps' number one goaltender at this point. I think I, I do think that our guys are in front of, uh, confident in front of Sammy. I, I don't want to say that with you know dis, disregarding Vitek. Vitek, I think that I think our guys play equally and hard in, in front of them. And so I, again, we've got two young goaltenders, and they're competing for ice and competing for starts, and um, you know they're pushing each other to be to be great goaltenders. And so um, I think that's a good thing. You know, I think it's a good thing when you have two guys pushing each other. So I think our guys are doing what they can in front of them, and our goaltenders are, are giving us performances where we can win games. And the Caps are winning games. Again, Caps now 15-4-6 and six on the season. As for the Caps' goal scoring in their 3-1 win over the Blue Jackets at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night, Alex Ovechkin scored a goal. How about that? Uh, Ovi had a second period even strength goal and a game-high tying seven-shot attempts. Ovechkin's even strength goal came 3-12 into the second period. He took a pass from defenseman John Carlson in the neutral zone, skated the puck into the right circle, and then scored on a snapshot. And this goal was yet another milestone goal for Alex Ovechkin. The goal was Ovi's 750th career regular season NHL goal. Ovechkin reaches that plateau in just 1,222 career regular season games, marking the second fewest games for a player to reach the 750 regular season goal plateau in NHL history. Wayne Gretzky reached 750 career regular season NHL goals in just 1,001 career regular season games. But as I have pointed out many times, Gretzky played in a much more wide open and high scoring environment 
that Ovechkin did. Like, this stuff about Ovechkin chasing Gretzky, if you go by raw numbers, yes. But if you adjust numbers for the eras in which these guys played, Ovechkin has been a more prolific goal scorer than Gretzky was. And a stat that does this is Hockey References Adjusted Goals. Ovechkin long ago surpassed Wayne Gretzky in career regular season adjusted goals for hockey reference. In fact, Alex Ovechkin is number two in NHL history in adjusted goals. Gordie Howe is number one at 925. Ovechkin is number two at 905. Uh, Actually, Yarmir Yager is number three at 841. And Wayne Gretzky is number four at 758. This never gets talked about enough with Gretzky. Yes, he's an all-time great, no doubt, but he played in an offensive environment that was much different than today's NHL in terms of how hockey was done in terms of goaltenders and the padding that they wore. I mean, if you ever watch NHL highlights from the 80s, goaltenders were a bunch of skinny minis, like barely wearing any padding, much different as compared to today's goaltenders. And so a guy like Ovechkin scoring as he has scored in his career, I think is more impressive than what Gretzky did in his career. So congrats to Ovi on career regular season NHL goal number 750. Oh, by the way, the goal also was Ovechkin's 20th of the season, making him just the seventh player in NHL history to score at least 20 goals in each of 17 consecutive regular seasons. The other six players, uh, Gordie Howe, Brendan Shanahan, Marcel Dion, Brett Hull, Yaramir Yager, and Matt Sundin. Pretty good company to be in. Uh, And this accomplishment... I think maybe says as much about Ovechkin as anything. I mean, think about that, right? At least 20 goals in each of 17 consecutive regular seasons. I mean, that's basically a generation, 17 years, at least 20 goals in each of 17 consecutive regular seasons. The consistency with which Alex Ovechkin has excelled can never be overstated. And that consistency, maybe as much as anything, makes him the all-time great that he is. Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I think so. Oh, obviously, right? I mean, just seems, you know, from, from last year to this year, it just seems like there's more rhythm to it. The year has more rhythm. Although we're, we're battling and we're, we're dealing with stuff, it, it just seems like it's a little bit more normal. It started on time. He was able to get into his programs of things he does in the summer, things he does through training camp and how he starts the season. And it really feels like to me that um, he's gotten off to the start that he wanted to get off to. But you're right about the consistency. That's what makes him great. Here, here. Uh, also for the Caps on Saturday night it was a really good game for Garnett Hathaway. Uh, Hathaway had a third period even strength empty net goal. Okay, fine. But he also had a game high seven hits and he ranked number two on the Caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game at 75. The Caps on Saturday night with Hathaway on the ice in five on five situations in the game had 18 shot attempts versus allowing just six shot attempts. And the Caps got a goal from the big man, six foot six Alexi Protis. Uh, Caps took Protis in the third round of the 2019 NHL draft. He's one of many rookies uh, seeing significant ice time for the Caps this season as they, again, contend with much of the way of injury slash absence. And Protis on Saturday night, even strength goal, 433 into the first period as he in the low slot deposited the rebound 
of his own shot. Also, this win over the Blue Jackets featured just one total penalty. We in this game from the Blue Jackets had just one high danger shot on goal per natural stat trick, and we in this game had a total of one penalty in the game. Caps were not called for a single penalty the entire game. The Blue Jackets were called for just one minor penalty the entire game. A clean game and a clean win for the Caps. And let's get to the college basketball weekends for Georgetown, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Uh, not a good day Sunday for the Hoyas. Georgetown fell to 3-4 and four with an 80-67 loss at South Carolina on Sunday afternoon. Hoyas never led in the game, uh, which they allowed South Carolina to begin on an 11-2 run. Hoyas' offense was really bad. I mean, that really was a problem for Georgetown. Hoyas went just 5-24 on threes, just 18-46 of 46 on twos. Georgetown committed 17 turnovers. Hoyas did hold South Carolina to 4-16 on threes, but allowed South Carolina to go 28 of 54 on twos. Uh, Donald Carey was good for Georgetown. He went 4 of 8 on threes, finished with 20 points, 7 rebounds, 2 blocks, did have 2 assists versus 4 turnovers in 32 minutes as a starter, but the rest of the Hoyas went 1 of 16 on threes. That's a problem. Donald Carey, four of eight on threes. That's good. Rest of the Hoyas, one of 16 on threes. Not so good. And included in that mix, Caden Rice, the graduate transfer from the Citadel. I've talked about Caden Rice on this podcast. When he's on, he's quite on. But when he's off, it can be rough. And it was rough on Sunday afternoon at South Carolina. Caden Rice in 21 minutes as a starter, 0 of eight on threes, 0 of two on twos. So he went 0 of 10 from the field. He finished with no points and no assists versus four turnovers. Uh, That's a rough stat line. 21 minutes as a starter, 0 of 10 from the field, no points, no assists, four turnovers. Uh, The 6'5", five-star freshman Aminu Muhammad uh, did contribute. One of three on threes, five of eight on twos. Did go just 4 of 7 on free throws. He finished with 17 points, eight rebounds, including three offensive boards and two steals in 32 minutes as a starter. Next up for Georgetown, home to UMBC Wednesday night at 8.30. Meantime, we had the ACC openers for Virginia and Virginia Tech over the weekend. The Cavaliers won. Uh, the Hokies lost. The Cavaliers won in dramatic fashion. Cavs improved to 6-3 and three overall with a 57-56 win over Pitt at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Friday night. This really was a miracle win for Virginia. Uh, the Cavs scored five points over the final 10 seconds of the game to overcome a 56-52 deficit, and all five of the points were scored by one player, the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner. Uh, Jaden Gardner finished with 15 points on 7-10 shooting, five rebounds and four assists versus one turnover in 34 minutes, 10 seconds as a starter. This was some run that Gardner went on. He had an and one bucket in the paint while falling onto his back and then made the free throw with 9.7 seconds left to cut the Cavs' deficit to one at 56-55. Then came Pitt committing a turnover on the inbounds pass due to a five-second violation. Then came Gardner grabbing the offensive rebound off a missed left-wing three-point attempt by Tane Murray. Tane Murray is a true freshman from New Zealand for Virginia. So Gardner gets the offensive board and then makes a baseline jumper from the right side while again falling backwards for a 57 57- 56 Virginia lead with 
0.9 seconds left. Just nine tenths of a second left. And the way this basketball went down was something else. The basketball bounced off the rim slash iron three times before ultimately going through. You talk about some home cooking. You talk about friendly irons. Uh, that's what you had for Wahoo on Friday night at JPJ. So the Wahoos get the win. Get the win despite going just 4 of 21 on threes and Pitt going 8 of 16 on threes. But the Hoos did dominate Pitt inside. The Hoos went 20 of 31 on twos, held Pitt to just 10 of 30 on twos. The Hoos outscored Pitt in the paint. 3018. We had no such interior dominance from Virginia Tech in its ACC opener. The Hokies fell to 6 and 3 overall with an 80-61 loss to Wake Forest at Castle Coliseum and Blacksburg on Saturday afternoon. Hokies with less than 14 minutes left in the second half, trailed by just 4 points at 51-47, but the Hokies then got outscored the rest of the game 29 29- 14. And the problem for Tech was its defense. Tech's defense was terrible in this game. Tech allowed Wake Forest to go 7 to 16 on threes, allowed Wake Forest to go 26 to 36 on twos, and Tech got outscored in the paint by 20, 48 28. Uh, Tech's offense was basically about two guys, Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz. Aluma, 4 7 on threes, finished with 23 points, nine rebounds, including four offensive boards and five assists versus four turnovers in 36 minutes as a starter. But I mentioned Aluma going 4-7 on threes. The rest of the Hokies went just 4 of 20 on threes. Uh, Mutz went 1 of 3 on threes and 6 of 7 on twos. He finished with 15 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 assists versus 3 turnovers in 28 minutes as a starter. But the Hokies' other three starters, Naheem Aline, Storm Murphy, and Hunter Couture, went a combined 2 of 13 on threes. Next up for Virginia at James Madison, Tuesday evening at 6.30. Next up for Virginia Tech, home to Cornell, Wednesday night at 9. And before we call it a show, college football bowl games now are set off the announcement of the college football playoff on Sunday. And how about this? Maryland will face Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl at Yankee Stadium on December 29th. That'll be cool. I like that. Terrapins versus Hokies. Uh, Hopefully we get some good local representation up at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Also on December 29th will be Virginia's bowl game. The Cavaliers will face SMU in the Fenway Bowl at, yes, Fenway Park. So we'll have Maryland versus Virginia Tech at Yankee Stadium and Virginia versus SMU at Fenway Park. The Terrapins, Hokies, and Cavaliers will be competing in the American League East, apparently, uh, during this college football bowl season. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 202, will feature much more on the Washington football team off it now having won four consecutive games and now being at six and six off the 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday afternoon. We have arrived at Dallas week. We, on Tuesday's show, will have the Ron Rivera day after the game Zoom press conference from Monday to go through. Also, all postgame Monday night's games for the Capitals and the Wizards. So the Caps will host the Anaheim Ducks Monday night at 7. The Wizards will be at the Indiana Pacers Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I told you guys, everything we need is in this room. Everything we need is in this room. And understand this more than anything else. Okay? Understand this more than anything else.
We can do what we want, we can be what we want. It's up to us. Nobody dictates to us, okay? Nobody does. We decide.